0: (laughs) All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What the uh, fuck-tarians? How's that? Tarians? Come on. How's it going? I'm Mark Maron. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. How's everybody doing? As maybe you can tell in my voice, I'm feeling a bit better. I'm not hundred percent, but I don't know if I ever am anymore. Is that possible? Like I, I don't feel I I had it had moved into my guts. Now I don't want to get graphic. I don't want to be TMI guy, but uh there were problems, man. Like I, I didn't know like I, there was a lot going on. That's I'm gonna leave it at that. There was it started off in the head, then moved to the chest a little, then it just it found a home in my uh lower GI. Let's just put it there. I don't know where it really was, but, uh, yeah, I, I, it was, you know, it was a problem, but I'm feeling better. My point, what was my point? The point I was trying to make was that I wake up and I'm, i still feel kind of shitty, but then I got to think back before I had the sickness and I, that's most of the time. Like I wake up and I'm like, mm, not great. Is this the way it's going to be? I don't feel well rested. I'm a little dizzy. Uh, my will to 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 move through the day is not great, but I'm up early, so so I can think about that stuff a lot. Why am I not doing more with my life? Why am I not? Maybe I should switch back to coffee. Maybe this tea is very unsatisfying. Maybe uh maybe I don't. Maybe this cat food's not right for any of us if it has fish in it because they're gonna throw it up on the couch and then I got to deal with that smell on top of other things. That's become a big concern. Today on the show, I've got two guests. I talked to uh, Danny Lobel. Danny Lobel, the comedian. He's got a new record out. And he's a, he's a mensch, a true mensch, this Lobel kid. I've known him a long time. Uh, he's uh, He's got a comic out called Fair Enough. It was always his dream to write and, and illustrate it. He didn't illustrate it, but he wrote it. Fair Enough, true stories from the life of comedian Danny Lobel. And he's got the podcast, Modern Day Philosophers. He's got a new record out. Uh, new CD, The Nicest Boy in Barcelona with a riff on the uh, Miles Davis sketches in Spain cover. But LaBelle, you know, he had a radio show interviewing comics long before I had WTF. And he's he's a, a gem, this kid. He's a kid who's nice to old people. He likes uh, hanging out with the old guys. He was, uh, you know, he was a friend of Shelley Berman's. He's a good kid. He's going to be on. Bill Janovitz from Buffalo Tom is here, which in Buffalo Tom is one of my favorite bands. I love Buffalo Tom. I love that band. I love that band. And they like they they always make me feel better. And here's the thing about Bill. I never really saw Buffalo Tom back in the day. We were sort of contemporaries back when I was in Boston, but uh, I don't think I ever went to see them. And when I got there, their, the record I got was, uh, was Bird Brain and that record just blew my mind. It's already living in New York in the late 80s. But they had a, uh, an album before that, self-titled, that I think I talked to Jay Maskis about because he produced it. But that's got Sunflower Suit and The Bus. The Bus, that song kills me. I don't know. There's just something about the way that guy writes music. And he's here. And, and, and I've just been wondering what he's been doing. They put a new record out. But I. it was one of those, like, I didn't know how it was going to go because I didn't know... Like I haven't heard from him, and I'm like, uh, in terms of music, and I'm like, what's he been doing? Is he okay? And so it's sort of like uh, I try to kind of ease into that. Like, what are you doing to make a living? You know, I mean, Buffalo Tom was great, but what do you, you know? What's been happening? It wasn't negative. It's not negative. It's all good. It's great. I'm going to go see them uh, this Saturday, I think. Anyway, here's what happened. Do, uh, this is what we're, this is what we're building up to. This is the big uh, payoff. So I'm still sick, right? But I'd already put in for spots. And then I was actually more sick than I, I wanted to be. And I put in, so I'm, I knew, like, I went to the bathroom before I left for the comedy store, which is about a 34-minute drive from my house, my new house, over, well, I don't want to give too much away. But that I don't, it's, you know, not a lot of options if something bad. But what my point was is that, I said to myself, look, I'll do the spot if I don't shit my pants in my car. That was the deal I made with myself, is that I'll do my comedy if I don't shit my pants in my car on the way over. It was was a high possibility. And there's not even great restrooms at the comedy store for the help. Well, it's the same restrooms for everybody. But, so needless to say, Not only did I not shit my pants on the way over to the comedy store, but I did a pretty good set for somebody that was about to shit their pants. I just, sometimes it's what I need. It's just what I need to, to really show up is the, the looming possibility of something horrible happening in this case, literally horrible, not just a mental thing. Like I could have shit my pants on stage. And I would have liked somebody to just tape my face in that moment where I knew it was happening. Because I'd like to save that face to close all of my shows with. Because that, how is that not the funniest face ever? What's going on? Oh, my God. He's shitting his pants. Yep, I got blue. We did some shit jokes. So, Danny LaBelle is a very sweet guy, very funny guy, thoughtful guy, Jewish guy, married guy and um, I say those things because, you know, he's really Jewy and like, you know, he's he's all in. Like he brought me some kosher baked goods when he got here. They're okay. That's what that's the thing about kosher food. It's like how was it? It was, it was okay. I don't think it was as good as a French bakery. Like, I don't think the almond croissants from the kosher joint are as good as the actual French bakery. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do, right? You don't want to mix those things. God forbid the cheese touches the meat. Huh? Anyway, not being ungrateful. I I ate them either way. I, I ate the kosher croissants. They weren't flaky enough, though. They weren't. They weren't. They weren't like flaky like you, you you want a really great croissant to be. But hey, can't you know you got to keep the dairy separate. So you know you 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 take you know you take what you get. Hey, at least they're doing it right. Back in the day, kosher croissant. What what was that? We just assumed the French didn't like Jews of any kind. Where'd that come from? Anyway, Danny Labelle. He's got a comic book out called Fair Enough True Stories from the Life of Comedian Danny LaBelle. He's got, uh, you can get that at fairenoughcomic.com. He's got his podcast, Modern Day Philosophers, and he's got his new uh, album uh, called The Nicest Boy in Barcelona. Get that on iTunes. And now you're going to hear me talk to the lovely Danny LaBelle. <laughs> So I read the comic book or the rough draft of it, and it, it's basically it, it almost is
1: Peckar esque, and you did all the uh, artwork as well. No, Amy Hayes did the Amy Hayes did the artwork. But you
0: do paintings. You just brought me a painting of
1: me. Yes, I I, I do, but the amount of time and commitment to make a comic book to the yeah. level that I want it to be, I felt like I should leave it in the hands of an expert comic book illustrator, and I have this guy uh josh Josh meatbag meat is doing the second one out of minneapolis and yeah. eventually i'll do one i'll illustrate one as well but it's it's hard to balance everything and put out a good product
0: so after years uh, as a stand-up comic and uh you know a uh a an adept uh, of orthodox jewish uh religion uh, from scottish roots uh a an interviewer of comedians an uh, an amateur artist a a, a liker of old Altacaca comedians, <laughs> <laughs> a, a hanger on to the saddest, oldest of the comics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, out of out of, out of uh, a seemingly hidden desire, you you are making a comic book about your life.
1: That's what I always wanted to do. So I feel like I'm right now in the in the Danny Lobel Renaissance. Is that what it's called in the calendar? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm doing everything I ever wanted to do. Yeah. I, I got a clarinet. Uh, I started taking lessons, I always wanted to- How old are you? 34. Okay. I always wanted to play the clarinet, like, like Bechet, I was, so... You never played anything before? I played the violin when I was a kid, and- so nothing for the whole life? No. And you decided to take clarinet lessons? Yes. How's it going? Great. Really, it's it brings me so much joy. Have you ever seen me this happy since you've known me? I'm I'm, I'm trying to read you. <laughs> I, you can <laughs> read me inside and out. There's nothing to hide. I'm so happy. Yeah, I'm doing everything I ever wanted to do and talking about the interconnectivity yeah. and like my loving of uh, hanging on their comedians. I started going up to Mill Valley to see Mort Saul, uh. and uh, and then I wound up playing at the Throckmorton Theater doing some stand up there. And I had this painting that I brought you a copy of this Bechet painting. Yeah. And I showed it to the woman who runs the Throckmorton, Lucy, and she goes, you should do an art exhibit. I said, look, this is the first thing I painted in 20 years. I don't, I don't, I used to paint when I was a kid, but she goes, well, how much time do you need? I said, how many pieces do I need? She, She goes, 20. I said, all right, April. So i you doing jamming out paintings. I've been doing paintings. I, I'm playing music. I'm, I'm writing comic books. I'm, I'm painting all day. I'm doing charcoals. I started doing all the jazz musicians, Artie Shaw and uh, Jimmy Noon and Benny Goodman and and a bunch of comedians, you and Gilbert and um, uh, Dave Chappelle. So I, I'm doing a gallery exhibit of comedians and jazz musicians that I love.
0: Well, that's exciting. So, yeah. And you came out with this record with the... Uh, the uh, the homage to sketches of Spain as the cover. Yes. Yeah. And when did you do why is
1: it called the nicest boy in Barcelona? So my family was originally from Barcelona and uh they're kicked out in the Inquisition. Yeah. And so I wanted to go back and do a record there. So I went back to Barcelona and I and I did a record there. Yeah? So yeah. For like a Spanish audience? It was like half Catalan and half expats. Yeah. And it was a crazy time, because I, I recorded it, it came out now, but I recorded it right after the Paris shootings, the night after. So yeah. nobody wanted to come out. Yeah. But I went to a Sephardic synagogue that afternoon in Barcelona. Yeah. And half the synagogue turned up to see me. So it was like th- this cosmic thing, like I would have had almost no crowd. I had a few Catalan people, a few expats, and then half of a Sephardic congregation from Barcelona. Yeah. So it's like crazy. What did, you
0: just told them you were playing. Yeah, and they came. How big? Of, how big of the congregation? Seven people, but Seven. it was
1: a small. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good. I'm glad they showed up for you. <laughs> it's quite an, under, quite an achievement. Yeah, I don't know really how many.
1: Yeah, that, oh, the congregation yeah. in whole was like 20 people, but, you know, like seven of them showed up. Oh, yeah. boy, I, I thought it was big, big numbers. No, but you're I mean, it serious? saved the show. Yeah, I it was no, a... I'm, I'm dead serious. Seven people <laughs> saved the show? Yeah, it's a tiny little theater called the Tinta Roja. How many people a seat? seat? Um, probably 40, and we... <laughs> oh, you're really dire straits Yeah, but nobody. it was going to be like... The first time I went out and played Spain, it was like sold-out crowds. I went out with this guy... Stephen Garland brought me up. Yeah. He ran the Barcelona International Comedy Music Film Festival. I don't know, whatever. A lot of titles. There's a couple
0: it. of those guys that run those rackets, huh? Yeah. Like There was a guy who did a China run. Forget his name. I okay. did it. Beijing and uh, Hong Kong, I think. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Was that good? I don't know. It's
1: all right. <laughs>
0: I was... <yeah. laughs> the shows were okay. It was interesting to be in China. Yeah. I can't say the shows were anything monumental.
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, the first time I went, I was like, wow, this is, I got to do a record here because it was packed. Yeah. And then the second time, you know. This time? This time when I, you know, go out with uh, recording people and everything, uh, you know, there's a huge terror attack the night before and nobody wants to leave their house. Yeah. So I had one shot at it and I said, you know what, I'll do it with a light crowd. And it still came out great. It's just, it's a light crowd.
0: Yeah. But you did well. With yeah. the light crowd, I think so, and you can identify everybody's single laugh. Yeah, <laughs> can hear, every, every one of those forty people—they're all on the record, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they can hear themselves laughing. Well, that's good. So this just came out.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, that's that. How's your wife doing? She's good. She's doing a lot of writing. Uh, she she writes, uh, you know, non funny stuff. Uh huh. So articles. On, yeah. Diff- on all kinds of. How she deal?
0: How is she still like
1: being Jewish? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's still I, in? <laughs> yeah. we. I think we've never been more happy with the, you know, we found a Sephardic congregation in Los Angeles that we we feel like at home in. Uh-huh. And it's great. It's got, you know, I grew up in a Moroccan synagogue. So, uh, all the tunes that I grew up with are these Moroccan tunes, the Ladino tunes. Uh-huh. And, and so, like... It's hard to find it, and when you do find it, it kind of excites something in you from sure. from your childhood. You recognize the melodies, yeah. So, so just that alone gives is that like primarily a
0: nice... what makes it different a Sephardic uh, congregation? I, I mean, are these people from mostly America,
1: or are they are people? No, the... it's mostly like, you. You have a mix of here in in LA. You, you mostly get uh, Iranians, but, yeah, but Persians, yeah,
0: Persian Jews,
1: yeah. Beverly Hills, baby. Beverly Hills. But you get some Iraqis, you get some uh, Turks and some Moroccans uh-huh. and uh, uh, Israelis. It's just a nice eclectic mix of accents and uh-huh. stuff. And uh-huh. uh, and I find it's just, you know, for me, it's more fun. You know, it's a more fun, because ca- it's what I grew up in. So. Well, yeah, certainly it's probably better than your, your sort of run-of-the-mill, middle-to-upper-middle-class,
0: orthodox congregation.
1: Yeah, there's something about that that... You know, I'm sure it's great for for a lot of people, and I and is it Orthodox? Uh, it, yeah, it's Orthodox, but in as you don't even have Orthodox. It's everything. You have people who are all different levels of of, of observance, and they yeah. all get together. Yeah, and they just uh, which I love about it. There's like less segregation, you know, right? In, in terms of where you stand, it's yeah. not, There's no yeah. label for it. it. Colorful yarmulkes. Yeah, colorful yeah. yarmulkes, and uh, round uh, like, Torahs and, them and uh, show off etalises. No show offitallis. Uh, plain white mostly. Oh really? No, yeah. no one's coming back from Israel with the colored fringe. And- no, I think that's <laughs> that's more like the. I, I find like conservative congregations—they go crazy with their tallises. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're... that's true. It's like they have tallest flair or yeah, something. That's know? right.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, they come back with. Are they? But you know the uh, the yarmulkes and the, are they the big ones? The kind that look like hats. Yeah, As a, but they're like beaded or what? Woven? Woven. Or what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have a bunch of those. You do? Yeah. You're not. You're wearing a Ralph Lauren yarmulke now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most comfortable hat. It's like this floppy kind of thing that. Do you wear a yarmulke out? Usually only on Shabbat, you know, not during the week. No? Why not? And I don't know. Just not my custom. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're making I, up the rules I, for I your w- orthodox
0: uh, practice?
1: Well, again, it's like Sephardim. Not, not all Sephardim oh, wear so, yarmulkes all But it was, all always, was always Sephardim with you or was it... Yeah. All right. But when my wife converted, she converted not with Sephardim and uh, like, you know, in an Ashkenazi so, kind of thing. And I,
0: I went more, along,
1: but it was like I didn't feel... Huh. Connected
0: in that way. So what? So now she's coming around to Sephardim? No, oh, yeah? she
1: loves it. It's much. It, it's it's a party. Yeah. You know when you you go there. So it's... she was
0: more Jewish in you at one point.
1: Oh, it, probably still. You know she. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know there's a purity to it because they come in without the baggage. You know there's no sure, and they they they,
0: they really want to learn it and appreciate it, and you know if they're if they're in it for the the right reasons, they got to you know you got to lock it in with all the belief.
1: Yeah. She brought me back into it. I was, I was had a lot of hang-ups and anger. and I'm glad I'm rid of them all. You know,
0: because you brought,
1: you got brought up in
0: the old school Ashkenazi, but not Lebawitch though. Was not it Lubavitch, Lubavitch, no, but just below that, <laughs> pre <Pre-Lubavitch. laughs> Like, That's the next level. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't go full Lubavitch, She just <laughs> half above, You know, yeah, like... half above. So all right. So you got the comic, and this is a life's work. And this is just the first book of you, you know, talking about you making a comic. Right. And your relationship with Harvey P. Carr, and then, like, it ends with you sort of starting to interview people. Right. Yeah. And so this is going to be an ongoing thing of your journeys in life from that period, which is, what, a decade ago?
1: About a decade ago, yeah. Maybe so, 14 years ago.
0: So you got 14 years of stories that you're going to embark on with the comics.
1: Right. So, right. So, yeah, I'm going to put out four a year. But they're just going to they're gonna jump around in time, too. What was like, the magazine you put out? The Comical. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. They yeah. had you on the cover. Yeah. I remember I had a big fight with uh, with one of the sponsors about it. Oh, really? No, people didn't know who you were yet. Yeah, they there was barely like, know now. Three people that knew you were a yeah. genius. And yeah. I was like, I'm putting Mark on the cover. And he goes, pick anybody more of a profile than Mark. Just give me somebody. Because he, he was sponsoring the, the magazine. He yeah. goes, no one's going to pick it up if they don't. He goes, look. I like Mark Marin. He's funny, but you don't understand the magazine business clearly. You can't just put who you like on the cover. <laughs> I'm like, I'm putting him on the cover. Well, thanks for going to bat for me. That was for, my the uh, Cover yeah. of the comical. I feel like it's all cosmic, you know? Like, here I am now. And like, you're. Again. Yeah. <laughs> with harissa sauce. Here you, know? you are again with croissants and harissa <laughs> sauce and a CD and a fucking comic book and. Everything, but that's got to be karma, right? That's got to be something karmic, karmic about that. Yeah, yeah, I owed it to you because of the comical. But Man. you didn't know you didn't know about the comical. This is the first time I ever told you. No, I, what do you mean? It was I was on the cover. Of someone I must have seen it. I don't remember no, that no, no. well. But you, you, you didn't know that I went to bad for you. No, thank God. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know yes, geez, I wouldn't I, want to hurt so, you at the time. So the life changer. You, yeah, sorry, buddy. It. Yeah,
0: I was going to put you on the cover of the magazine. No one buys. But then I. I <laughs> But then the guy who's giving me money said less people will buy it, and no one's buying it now. <laughs> but I kept you on there, yeah, and I didn't lose the sponsor. Yeah, it was my big my big stand. Oh, thanks, right. buddy. I'm glad to be part of that. And, and yeah, this is full circle. Yeah. Now I'm giving it. I'm, I'm I'm giving it back. That's what I'm saying. It's karmic. So what about are you?
1: Going to have kids or what? I hope, so. <laughs> I hope so. You just seem uh, like the guy who's going to have kids. I want to have kids. Oh. you I, trying? Not yet, but you, I want you to. You know how to do it, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you want to coach me? <laughs> no, just want to make sure you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I want to. Yeah. In, in the near future, I'm just trying to like. Get all your ducks in a row? Yeah. Mm. And I feel like it's happening, you know. I, yeah. Are you doing a lot of stand-up? Um, not as much as I was. I'm doing, uh, I think we're doing a show together this week at the Comedy Store. Oh, yeah? On Thursday night. Oh, right. That's true. For Skylar? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I haven't been doing as much. I started doing one-man shows, and I've been- Oh, yeah. Doing a lot. I did Edinburgh last summer. Oh, that's
0: right. I remember talking to you.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that went really well. Yeah. And, and so I'm doing it again this summer. And what's your wife? She's writing for a living? She's writing for a living. That's great. Yeah. All and right. I just do this. I do the podcast, like the Modern modern Day Philosophers podcast. Yeah. We, we talk about philosophers. Yeah. yeah, we did that once. Yeah. And that's still going strong? Going strong. Well, good. Just did one with George Wallace. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How was that? Oh, fun. That guy yeah. is That guy is good energy. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, man. He's big boy. Yeah. <laughs> he's, 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 he's like nine feet tall, that guy. Yeah. He's, 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 he's towering over you. Yeah. But, but like, you know, just jovial... Fun, warm guy. Is he still in Vegas? He's in Vegas. Yeah, he like was in town in for a Vegas, few days. Right? Well, he says he's going to get out of Vegas now. He's going to start doing more stuff. He's, uh, he's he ended his Vegas run. He's, he was telling me on the podcast he's going to he's starting to do some television hosting and all kinds of other things. So he's in Vegas a long time. Yeah. Wow. And one of the things we talked about was uh, his whole dream in life was to be in Vegas, and then he accomplished it. And then he's like, what do I do now? <laughs> really? That was the whole dream? Yeah. My dream is to never go there. <laughs> I never, I couldn't understand
0: never, that dream either.
1: I... <laughs> never have to go to Vegas is my dream. Like, people are yeah. like, you play Vegas? I'm like, why? Yeah. Why? Right. It must be like some, like, romance to like the you know the days of like Don Rickles and Jerry Lewis there that he probably grew but up. But I with. think that people are more business minded. You know, if you can get one of those residencies, you know,
0: you got you know guy, you got a year on the books. Yeah, for a, like a set amount of money, you got a contract. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that's appealing to some cats. Yeah, probably. Yeah, man. Like you're doing like what three, four shows a week? They put you up. You know, you, you can eat at the hotel or whatever. It's starting to sound depressing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> It was a, it was depressing, you know, right at the beginning that you, yeah. you know, you know that you want to be secure in your in the, for the year. Mm-hmm. But I just I remember one time I used to work at a place in a hotel, that fucking catch
1: in Princeton. Oh, do you remember that place? I, do I? Why do I think I do? I think I was there once. I believe it was in a hotel. Yeah, was definitely in a hotel. I th- yeah. was I there with Ralphie I I used to tour with Ralphie and I went to a lot of these places. It's a little place Ralphie May? Yeah, maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it was a long time I'm ago. Thinking
0: of something. A long time ago, but I remember it was like you could eat at the you had to eat at uh, the employees lounge. You we know, had the employees restaurant downstairs where you had a buffet for the people that worked at the hotel. It was uh, depressing. Yeah. Sitting there in that weird sub- subterranean lunchroom. Ugh. And he stayed at the hotel where the club was at. There was a Hyatt in Princeton. Yeah, that's never fun. It wasn't fun, dude. (laughs) There's a lot of moments
1: that are not necessarily fun. (laughs) But, you know, you look back at him, you're like, ah, those are the good old days. Yeah. Now I'm looking back at them, I'm like, is there a comic book there? I could maybe make a... A shit gig comic <laughs> book? That'd be a great comic book. Yeah, well, Hell gigs? I'm writing like all the all the stories of being a stand up in a comic book, you know, just the life of my life as a stand up. All right, so let's let's wrap it up. When's the first one come out? March first. And then what year for a year?
0: For a year. And the and the and the record, uh Danny LaBelle, the nicest boy in Barcelona, performed for thirty eight people. Yeah. The day after a terrorist attack and seven Sephardim. <laughs>
1: It's I have available. a seven spar deem guarantee on all my <laughs> <laughs> That's happening. Yeah. But, but the comic book's got some nice Harvey Picard stuff and that's a sweet little relationship you got with that guy. He kicked off everything for me because I was you know, I was very insecure. Um I feel like I'm I'm the most secure I've ever been now, but I was very insecure and I was scared and I, I had very low ambitions. Yeah. And then I saw this movie, American Splendor, and I was like, oh, this guy reminds me of me. Yeah. And he did something with his life. Like, he's he's got a movie made about him. Yeah. And, and like, it brought back, I'm like, oh, that's what I always wanted to do. What, I used to make comic books when I was a kid, and this guy does it as an adult. I could do it, you know? I and thought, how, how'd you call him? He was in the phone book, because <laughs> in the movie, he's he had this opening scene about how happy he was to be in the phone book. It meant he was somebody to see his name and print in the phone book. And I thought, maybe he's still in the phone book. And I, I called him expecting that it was a stupid, crazy idea. Yeah. And then he, his voice answered the phone, yeah. Harvey Pekar on the other line. And I immediately, like, lost my voice to nervousness. Yeah. I was so nervous that it actually worked. Yeah. And, um, and then he got me talking and I got more comfortable. I remember, like, my heart was beating through my chest. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh God. whoa, well, I wasn't planning for him to actually pick up. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. and then and then uh, I made this stupid uh, announcement to him on the phone because I said, "I want to get my writing published and, and nobody wants to publish it. I'm a starting out stand-up comic, and I submitted some places, and I don't even hear rejections. I don't hear anything. Yeah, I said, "I wish I could do what you do and just put it out myself." And he just goes, "You can." yeah and that just shook my my brain when he's i was like wait a minute i can he goes yeah just figure it out find a way and do it and and then i said okay i will and then i i I hung up and i'm like well i can never call this guy again if i don't yeah so because then i just look like a liar so that just forced me to make that magazine that you were on the cover of i i just needed to make something so i could keep calling him and have a friendship and i was just like you know the guy was a hero to me yeah and um, and then I, you don't want to spoil it because it comes sort of full circle. It's it, kind
0: of cute in a, in a mystical yeah. way. All right, buddy. Well, I'm glad you're doing well.
1: Uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me back Great on. Great to
0: see you. And thanks for the pastries. Oh yeah. They're yeah. Good. And uh, go, tell tell me when you're having a kid. Oh yeah. I will. Yeah. <laughs> I'll
1: invite you. We'll do a podcast
0: about it <laughs> <laughs> while she's in labor. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right, so you you got the deal. That's Danny. Thank you, Danny, for the croissants, the kosher croissants. I feel like I was rude, and you're probably listening. I'm, I'm ungrateful. I got to get straight with God. That's what I got to do. As I said before, Danny's, you know, you get the comic book, uh, fairenoughcomic.com. You can get Modern Day Philosophers. his a podcast on iTunes and his new album, The Nicest Boy in Barcelona, on iTunes as well. A lot going on that kid. Anyway, so like I said before, um, you know, Bill Janovitz. I, I love Buffalo Tom. I haven't seen him. I've never met him, but I don't know, you know, what he's been doing. And I was, I was nervous about that. I was just nervous because it was like one of those things where it's sort of like, what, is everything okay? What where you been? What have you been up to? But they got a new Buffalo Tom record out, which is nice. And um, it's called Quiet and Peace. It's out tomorrow. I believe they're going to be at the Teragram Ballroom here in LA this Saturday, performing all of "Let Me Come Over." I believe all the way through two shows. I don't know what the ticket situation is, but I know that I'm supposed to go. Probably the early one before I do comedy. And uh, he's here. Uh, I'm a big fan of the band, and I'm just been curious what he's been up to and how life is for uh for Bill. So this is me and Bill Janovitz. <laughs>
2: You have the Stones books, right?
0: Let me see. I, I don't have the thirty-three and a third oh, there one. There
2: you go. I brought that for you. The rocks off uh, is the other one.
0: Yeah, that was your big book on the Stones.
2: Yeah, and th- <laughs> blockbuster. The, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but what what compelled you? I mean, did did it start with the writing on exile and this thirty-three and a third? They asked me to write a thirty-three and a third, and I was going to write one about class clown, but I just like I find the the exercise of writing uh, so painstaking and relentless for the. Uh, for the actual payoff, that I I I've, I don't want to do it anymore.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm sort of in that state right now, thinking about another project. You know, I've, like what? Like what's the next project? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't even want to kind of you know more music writing. Yeah, yeah, more music writing. So yeah. it's trying to find that kind of thing you want to dedicate yourself to, and it's like, is it going to be? Yeah, compelling for me—is it going to be commercial enough? It's too. It takes so much
0: time. Yeah. So you're worried about selling a book?
2: Not not selling so much as like I got other things. I got the band. I got. Yeah. I got a family. I got a yeah. day job. I got blah, blah blah. So it's like, what am I? I mean, that really. The last one took like, yeah, you know, I I did it in, a, in an intense period of time.
0: What the the the, the, rock, rock's, the off. rocks off? Yeah. 50, and what was the what was the angle of that I got it? But like I like I I like, have hardly any time to read yeah exactly uh yeah i mean i started with this one because i I really did want to write
2: uh on exile i loved the idea of this 33 and 3 series yeah yeah it's great they do a lot yeah and this was the early-ish days you know like when you could still go hey i have this idea yeah yeah nobody's nobody's picked exile yet you know right but my friend joe pernice from the pernice brothers yeah mountain boys yeah he did one and band were they in a band pernice brothers uh Joe was in the Scud Mountain Boys and the Pernice Brothers were, okay, right. were a band. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. And, and Joe still plays. He plays with uh, Raymond from Teenage Fan Club. And uh-huh. He's up in Toronto now. Right. He and I went, we went to UMass Amherst together. And Right. Uh, so he had done one. So I said, hey. What did he do? Which one? He did
0: Meet His Murder. And uh-huh. it was uh, sort of a, it, well, it was a the novella. novella. I, I, yeah, I can't, I, you know, it's like, I can't, I've never walked into the Smiths. I was locked into him for a for a
2: sort of how soon is now era yeah you know, meet his murder yeah uh and the hat full of hollows record but after that yeah I mean the whole Morrissey solo thing I just don't know why people I don't know it's where just,
0: it's as much of a comedy show as anything yeah. but you're like around my age do we like did I miss it I don't there seems to be a chunk of time where I just was not maybe I just wasn't paying attention to music I don't know what happened yeah so that would have been what like 84 I was right, right oh. as I was getting out of high school. I think that oh, was that right. was so that was it. I seemed to push back on you know what was legitimately you know punk rock and fringe music. Yeah, I don't know why.
2: I, I'm similar. I mean, I was into sort of the earlier punk rock stuff, um, yeah, but not so much you know like not so much like Dead Kennedys or then sort of the hardcore. Yeah, and, and in Boston. So yeah. I moved to Boston. When I was like 16, and hardcore was was huge. Where'd you come from? I grew up on Long Island. You did, yeah. What what town? Huntington. Oh yeah, yeah. The, Jewish the, guy? No, no. I, I I even did a DNA test. I thought for sure some some Jewishness would No, come <laughs> no, no Jewish. Uh, wait, uh, I'm, I grew up culturally half Irish, half Italian. The Janovitz is kind of a, a a little red herring in in the. Uh, oh yeah. The, how, yeah. Well, how how'd that get in there? Janowitz. Yeah, we're we're trying to figure that out. It's Janovitz. So it's sort of ba- as a bastardized Eastern European thing. My father's grandfather. Came, oh yeah. Came from somewhere. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. We heard Russia, but
0: yeah, I, that's I, probably, that sounds right. Yeah. So you're uh, Irish, Italian. Irish, Italian. My mother's Italian. Yeah. Huntington's uh, is that Italian Irish uh, yeah. town? Yeah. just like a bar every corner and, uh, and pizza, you, the best pizza in the world. And you got for... big family. I'm the oldest of five. Five. Yeah. Catholic family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Full on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oldest of five. So yeah. you got a bunch of like how 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 young's the youngest? Uh, the youngest
2: is 15 years younger than me. So what am I? 51. I don't even want to do the math. But wow. Well, just no a, kidding. He's, yeah. He's got his kids
0: kids of his own though. You got yeah. kids too?
2: Yeah, yeah, I got an 18-year-old girl and a
0: 13-year-old boy. No kidding. Yeah. So you got started out pretty like you I know was, around yeah, the right 30s, time. yeah. 30s. All right, so like cuz uh the, the first like the first I remember Buffalo Tom, I you know, it was I got the I probably got the Bird Brain album First in the when was that the late eighties like ninety yeah, maybe 80, 1990, yeah,
2: 89 for
0: Bird right and then I went back and got the first one with sunflower suit on it somehow
2: yeah SST so that was the that is the hardcore label you know this the black flag label and, yeah but I was going to say that the stuff that started to make sense to me in terms of punk rock yeah. was when Husker Du sort of married it all together the the energy with right uh, and so we were. The three of us in Buffalo, Town were very much influenced by Husker Du and the replacements at, at Minneapolis, but also the Boston bands. That I know you were in Boston, so Mission of Burma. Yeah, there's a band called the Moving Targets. Yeah, I remember yeah, them. Fantastic band. Yeah, really underrated, like unknowns.
0: Well, of- I kind of like I remember like the era that you were there, but so so you leave. Huntington at 16? 82, yeah. And what, you just, what, run away from home? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no.
2: Now, my father uh, got a job up in Providence, so we moved to this town called Medfield, which is uh, yeah. uh, sort of between Providence and uh-huh. Boston uh-huh. And, and Massachusetts. Yeah. Went from this town where
0: I had all these band, you know, a band. I had a my own band, I had all my friends, I grew up there and- Well, could, from Huntington, you had a band in Huntington in yeah, high school? Yeah, was like a teenager. You and know? You're, yeah, when, did you, when did you start playing guitar? I
2: started playing like 12, 13.
0: What kind of music were you playing in high school? That's good You're question. 52?
2: Yeah, uh, 51, yeah. 51? Yeah, uh, you know, this this kind of stuff, Stones, but it was the time where Talking Heads and, and Clash and Joe Jackson and that kind of stuff was- Was just coming out. Was coming out, and <clears throat> so we were, you know, we we went from playing like half Stones and half um, like Neil Young covers to, uh, you know, f- putting in Psycho Killer or this and that. You know? Oh, you did, But it yeah. was like, you know, it was a conservative era out on Long Island, and it yeah. probably still is. It's like- until like uh, the alternative station came down there after I left, it was a, it was still very much. I
0: remember, weren't there some punk bands from there? Weren't the Dictators from Long Island? Or uh, some, or they some were from, uh, where were the Dictators from? Like Bronx? Maybe? Oh, maybe, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. The uh, Ramones, Long Island. Ramones of
2: Queens, yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I'm talking like real Long Island, yeah, not you know, Queens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, this is like <laughs> yeah, yeah. The North Shore of Long Island. It was very much the Grateful Dead, the Cross, right. Southern Rock. Right. And, you know, even yeah, sure. in like the late '70s. Yeah, nothing know. wrong with that. And the Stones were getting criticized by, uh, you know, the dudes. From were, you know, playing disco or, or,
0: oh, or for for yeah for the some, some girls, girls records or yeah
2: you know so that's the kind of it was and I remember being at this battle of the bands yeah you
0: knew guys that turned on the
2: stars oh yeah well I remember yeah exactly oh man this is disco yeah man. what it's the gay, fuck man, man. Yeah. yeah 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 but then uh, I remember this this great. Um, battle of bands where this there was this band called Plastic Device who came out. I, as In my memory, they were like in jumpsuits, like yeah, Devo. Or sure, and they, sure. And they 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 launched into uh, I'm So Bored with the USA, and the kids in the high school auditorium booed them off. <laughs> not not off stage, but booed them uh-huh. because they were they're you know they're anti American.
0: Oh something. really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh really? So they just weren't ready. They weren't ready yet. They weren't. No. They, but I think there's still pockets of Long Island that aren't ready. Yeah, now that's why they're out on Long Island. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of uh, you know Trump support down there on some areas yeah. of the island. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Man. Dug in, man. Yeah, dug in, old time. You yeah. know, uh, jingoistic nut jobs. It's it's, it's sort of a protection kind of thing. You know. So you get up to Providence, and Providence that's but you weren't in Providence. No, no,
2: we were. I was outside of Boston, but it was like in the middle of nowhere. So I went from this really kind of thriving town where you could really get around yourself, hitchhiking, yeah, the sure. bus, whatever. But beaches, downtown, record stores to this you know literally one stoplight town and yeah a nice beautiful town but in the middle of nowhere yeah so it took a while it was a depressing time but uh you know it's... you finished high school there yeah I finished high school there then went up to umass and that's what and chris actually from buffalo tom he he, he kind of came from huntington as a kid too and moved to medfield when he was uh he was there years before me uh-huh uh but we met at umass he's two years older
0: oh wait so there's it's just three of you in the original band they or are all yep. like tom mcginnis like yeah i remember him I, I mean, like, I, I don't know if I knew, know him. I feel like I met him before. Is Did that you, possible?
2: He's a real quiet guy. He's the only native New Englander in a band. He grew up up in Andover, and he went to UMass.
0: So you went to UMass, and, and that's where you met Chris and Tom? Yeah. And you guys started playing together? Yeah,
2: so they were all in, we were all in other bands, but- What
0: band were you in? Uh,
2: it was just nobody. Knew. <laughs> it was called, uh, well, in high school, I was in a band called Rambunctious Llamas, <laughs> which became some other name yeah. You know, it was just high school kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Tom played bass in his cousin's band. And actually, do you know Tim O'Hare, producer? He did like Sebado records and he did. He worked on our first record. and Maybe. Um, great producer out of that whole Fort Apache yeah. scene. He worked on our first record. He was in a band with Tom, actually. And uh, they were called, played a mutton. And then they were called Skylar Hinkle. But I was a high school kid with like these college kids uh, going up to Andover yeah. during Christmas break and I saw Tom playing bass and they were playing these original songs and his cousin was amazing. Wrote really great songs. Yeah. This whole Bowie kind of vibe to him. Yeah. And it just sort of blew my mind that people could, could, and they were already sort of playing, you know, like Jumpin' Jack Flash in Boston or the right. Rat. And stuff right, right. Like oh that yeah, as, yeah. As like sort of high school Whoa, kids, Jumpin' you know? Jack Flash. Remember where that? was that? That was over near the Fenway.
0: Yeah, man. It burned down. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that moment where you're like, oh, you can write songs. And yeah, can...
2: and, I, and also Tom was really handsome. And I yeah. and I wanted to be in a band with that guy. <laughs> yeah. But we stuck him
0: behind the drums. Yeah, know? yeah.
2: Uh so yeah, we kinda it was just it's just the era where, you know, Jay was Mascus was around and those guys and there was a lot of equipment down in He didn't go basements. to the school there though, right? He was he just
0: he did. He went to UMass yeah, he
2: grew uh, up down in the street from his house, right? Yeah, he grew up in Amherst. Um and they were already going, you know, by the time we Dinosaur Jr. Yeah, they they had already put out their first record and and then your Bug? Lab, I think you're no, no, the first one self titled. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. then the one with um uh, repulsion on it yeah and then you're living all over me was second yeah. and that was coming out or came out right around the time we were forming and uh they you know so there was like shared amps and drums and in these houses in northampton you know the next uh-huh. time over and so uh-huh. guys would just get together at parties and jam and that's kind of how, how we got going you know really stuff out yeah a lot of hour downtime, and uh, so those guys each wanted to learn different instruments i was already sort of singing and playing and writing my own songs so Chris jumped to bass and Tom jumped to drums from bass. Uh huh.
0: Yeah. And he didn't know how to
2: play drums. No, he was. um, He had been fooling around in drums at his, you know, with his own band, but it was his other drummer's set. When so, you know, it'd be left at his mom's house, kind of thing.
0: Right. Right. (laughs) So all right, so you guys are all hanging out up there in Amherst, and Jay's around. Yeah. Well, what was the scene? Was he like? Did everyone consider him a mastermind of some kind, or was it just everyone equal? It was a really
2: small group of people. Like, so you know, Black Flag would come through, or the replacements, and it would be like,
0: you know, replacements came
2: through. Yeah, you know, student union ballroom kind of shows.
0: So uh, like they were they were at their that was the top of their game, right?
2: Yeah, so I first saw them in the channel on, I guess it was Tim, so right right as Tim was coming well, out.
0: Well, that's a little later, right? I mean- That when, would have been 85, I And think then I think there was only one we more after that. that, wasn't there, really? Well, please no, the no come, there was a couple more. Please meet me.
2: The... And then there was um, Don't Tell us Soul. Don't Tell us Soul. That was the last one? I think so. I'm not, don't,
0: yeah, 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 I'm, yeah. I kind of yeah. lost track after Sure, that. sure. Yeah. Um,
2: but yeah, bands like that would come through, and the Pixies. You remember? Do you did you know that area at all? Sheens. There was a pub called Sheehan's. Well, I knew dancing. like I knew
0: people around the Pixies, uh, uh, but I didn't know them personally. Yeah, I mean, it was, was like I was on my way out. Joey and um, and Charles
2: were up at UMass as well, but they didn't form the band until so they went back to Boston. But they would come back uh, and play, and there was this basement place yeah. called uh, In Sheens, and there'd be like you know maybe fifty people max. Yeah, and that you know so we'd see a lot of the same faces so when when jay and, and and lou and murph started to make it big they were still they were still getting grief from sound men around there and you know and it was really hard to get gigs there because it was it was the 80s and it was yeah. very much the 80s there you know so like the only bands that people really wanted to go see in in mass amounts yeah. was like reggae and blues and stuff they could dance right. to and right. drink, drink to you know sure it's college right. town yeah and jay was still using pretty much like Almost the same size <laughs> rig he has now, you know, two full stacks in like a tiny little club, and yeah. glass mirrors. I remember mirrors falling off the wall. At this place called Oasis and breaking, and you know, <laughs> he had guys in tears, you know, because he was just too uh, loud, it was too loud. But he didn't give a fuck. You yeah, know? He was, and it was very punk rock. He, people would be at him, and you've met him, and he's yeah. just
0: kind of you know stone faced. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's gotten a little warmer. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. He's, yeah. a, he's as he's become more of a guru. Something, yeah, yeah, something gives. I knew a woman who I think was like maybe the Pixies' first manager before they got big, and I can't remember. I should know her last name, but I can't remember Anne her, her first name. Anne. That's oh, it's real. No, it's, no. It's, it bothers me because you, you know we had it's it, things just disappear in yeah. your brain. Yeah,
2: yeah, I know. Well, I remember a lot of that era. I mean. Uh, because we got going soon after that, like at the Fort Apache. And Fort Apache was like the sort of cohesive element of Boston. Wait, what, where was that? Well, the first one was down in Roxbury. So it was really, that's where the the, the name came from. It was a really rough era. You know, and that was a studio? And, uh, yeah, it was a warehouse. What was the guy's name? Tim O'Hare? Tim O'Hare. But I mean, he, Tim was just one of the sort of guys. That, it was like a clubhouse of guys like Sean Slade, Paul Coldery, uh, Lou Giordano, yeah. and, and Gary Smith, and Joe Harvard. Joe Harvard yeah. is actually Joe Pernice's... Uh, uh, cousin uh, then they moved to cambridge and that became sort of the big up in camp street uh where rounder records was right right cambridge. yeah yeah that was what year was of, that they moved up there right around the time we were starting so like 88 89 and they had two going for a while and then they moved again nearby but it, you know that was like sort of the the big cohesive uh element of Boston. and who
0: is it like who is recording there
2: well, I mean, I, that the Pixies started there. Yeah. Uh, uh, big Dipper, throwing muses, big Dipper, dinosaur, lemonheads, Juliana, and yeah. the Blake Babies. Yeah, and, Blake Babies. Yeah. all those cats. Yeah, and then you know, then bands from outside started coming. As soon as like bands like the Pixies and throwing muses started making big waves overseas, you had Radiohead come in and Hole, and then you know, Paul and Sean. All the Fort Apache. Started. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was either just mixing. A, or it was recording just a studio. Or, yeah. Huh? Yeah, Uncle Tupelo did a record up there.
0: And It was a real, I mean, amazing discography. So, so what gets uh, what gets Because I talked to him about doing your first record, and it seemed to be kind of a hazy thing to him. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> like you know, he yeah. didn't completely own it in a way. Like he was like, I did, but we were all. over. I think he felt insecure about his capacity at that time. Yeah, as I, a I think a lot of people
2: misread him that way. They 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 think he's being. Um, Uh, standoffish or something but he's a pretty humble modest guy and he didn't really i mean that first record was done in in like different sessions over months oh oh, right you know so we started it with tim o'hare and then uh sean and and tim sean slade and then jay came in like somewhere in the middle of that and then jay did all of our second record oh he did yeah with sean slade and then we went on to Sean Slade and
0: Paul Coldry for our third record. So the first like, record's got um Bus and Sunflower Suit on that's it. That's right, yeah. I love those songs. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And he and Bird Brain's the second one? Bird Brain's the second one. Yeah, it's a little bit darker for the most I part. love Bird Brain. Enemy, Fortune
2: Teller, Birdbrain. Those yeah. are the
0: best. Thanks. Fortune Tower is great. Like I, I didn't realize that Jay did that. Yeah, so that was the one where we had Jay in from start to finish. And
2: you know what we loved, what we loved about Jay Jay was a kind of a uh a vibe guy you know so he was like he he lights up to this day he lights up when you just sort of talk about guitars and gear and and getting sounds for that stuff Uh, in terms of the songs and arrangements he wasn't really involved so much in that you know yeah he did say this is about bird brain (laughs) he said this is the hit that's gonna make all the girls cry
0: bird brain yeah (laughs) i for me the song on that record that i love is uh fortune Tower. yeah it's kind of like the who is it
2: yeah it's yeah kind of, it's almost like i think it's like mile uh, i can see from miles uh, chords kind yeah. of going up the neck i think
0: well like i like but the, i liked all these songs like this is one of those i think bird brain was the first song where the that album was like the one where i'm like well who the fuck are these guys i'm glad that i got that at the beginning yeah yeah <laughs> but you did it wasn't just a 3e on that record huh it was yeah yeah just but 3-E. you had the people hanging out are playing guitar on things? Oh, yeah,
2: different... Yeah, uh, Jay plays on the song Bird Brain. Um, you know, I think we have Tom's cousin sings on... I don't know, one of these songs, somewhere along the line. But yeah, no, it's, it's been mostly just the three of us. We had a keyboard uh, guy later in our career, uh, like in the ni- late 90s for, you know, touring and for one record, but he wasn't really...
0: So after this record, so you do the first record, and you, are, do do people pick up on it before... Uh, it...
2: Yeah, I mean, it was... It was just a different era where expectations were much lower. Yeah. Uh, You know, the fact that Dinosaur was going across country, never mind to the UK and stuff, and doing well was like... God, if we could just get a record on SST Records, that right. would be a goal, right? And right, right. That of would be amazing. Yeah. And then we could go on and graduate college and go on to our normal life. Right. So each thing was really like moving it down, the moving the the goalpost down a little bit until you know it became this post Nirvana age where they were signing everything that moved. So, so did you finish college? Yeah, yeah. We all finished. I was the last. I was the I'm the youngest. what did you get so. a degree in? <laughs> I was. Uh, Communications and uh, comparative literature minor, Uh yeah, kind of just you know. But then you just
0: went, you just like you didn't, you just got it done, and then you just hit the road. Yeah, exactly. So all right, so you got your you got your record on SST, and that was sort of like cool. Oh yeah, yeah. And but but it wasn't like, and then you just started touring. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we started. I think we actually
2: our first real tour was over in like Belgium and Holland and 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 the UK.
0: I mean, we, opening we did, for who were you? No, no. For-
2: well, actually, um, at, at, no. It's mostly our own tour. Yeah. Um, we did do a string of dates either on the first or second record, opening for Henry Rollins' band. Uh, which was pretty intense, you know, in Germany, Rollins. What
0: year, which Rollins band configuration?
2: Sam Hain was, uh, Sam Hain, Sim Hain was, what's his name? Uh-huh. Uh, the drummer. Uh-huh. And I forget who else.
0: Pretty crazy, huh?
2: It was intense. They were really serious. Yeah, uh, he's very serious. And we serious. were just
0: this sort of, like, goofy. <laughs> Even when he's funny, he's serious, yeah. Henry Rollins. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I, I, I think some of those old school guys, uh, old school SST guys had little time for us. I mean,
0: SST was changing around the time we got- uh, Because it used to be sort of a community. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. like the yeah, Minutemen yeah. and like- yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, they sort of they, they sort of developed a circuit and yeah. uh, we came a little later. Right. and SST itself was sort of- falling And you weren't really favor. punk rock. No, we were not. Yeah. But I mean, uh, you know, uh,
0: punk informed. Sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know. You, like you, you seem to be on the cusp of that. That Buffalo Tom sound was, was how music was changing at that time. Do, you know there? It was a, it was a new thing that was going on. Right. Uh, I'm not sure how how broad that spectrum is but it seemed like you know rem and and you know people uh like the replacements and stuff that weren't essentially punk rock but punk in form but you know pretty american music yeah we called
2: it college rock back then before alternative. Yeah. you know it's like because we were all played on college stations we we toured a lot of colleges you know, yeah, like yeah salad bar gigs where you call them and um but it was still a very much a big deal. As I talk about low expectations, like for for REM to have a major label deal right. at that point was still new, and they were starting to play these big halls, like like even arenas. At that was place. all happening because like because yeah.
0: Birdbrain comes out in nineteen ninety. Yeah, how did you get signed from uh, from from? Oh, like after to, the first record.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it's a long story, but we, we were mostly <laughs> signed to this Dutch label primarily uh, because they were the first one. We had gone through our you know records, like sending out demo tapes, and and we had this Gun Club record that we were huge Gun Club fans, and they had a live record that was put out by this label called Mega Disc. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh rick or mel in, in, in holland in belgium and so that's kind of how we got some some real footing in the benelux countries which to this day are our biggest sort of market per capita, really? you know the smallest, they which you, countries where uh holland and belgium oh really yeah yeah in particular belgium like it's uh there's this line and um i think it's singles or is that with the one with matt damon yeah singles mac dylan Dillon. Matt dylan Dillon, right yeah uh, matt damon <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, Where he says, "I just found out our band is big in Belgium," and it's like this big laugh line. Yeah, and yeah. my wife elbows me as we're watching. <laughs> and say, yeah, you're big in Belgium. Uh, yeah. So, and he licensed us. Basically, uh, we had a deal in the U.S. Because uh, you liked a Live SST. Gun Club
0: record, you reached yeah. out.
2: Yeah, exactly. Now, those are the days.
0: You just sent out cassettes, and you. This
2: guy wrote us a letter, and he wants to. Uh, he wants to t- own
0: everything.
1: But it's
2: everything. Just so funny. Yeah. That's
0: what drove you, like you know, like the history of SST. Was the first feather in the cap to get an SST record? Now, like this label's got to be cool. No, no, they, they
2: were. megadisk was first. That was, they were the first ones to respond. So Greg Ginn, um sat down with us in New York from SST, uh, the guy from Black Flag, and I think he sat down with us because we we already had Jay involved. Yeah. So he was. I think that was an angle for him. Yeah. But then we signed to Beggar's Banquet. Yeah. Uh, which was like that was our that was our Papa label for most of the most of our career.
0: But then yeah, but then the the next record, um, let me come over. 92 that that was the big record yeah that was sort of well you know it's funny that started to happen that's the one i gave john stewart and somehow he managed to get into rolling stone magazine and say you were his favorite band oh yeah yeah (laughs) i remember hearing about this (laughs) i did that thank you very much i don't know if you're still his favorite band but i remember like he asked me at some point what i was listening to him i was telling everybody about buffalo i had to get like david cross who was a snob about pot, you know, about, like, he was a big fire hose guy, and, like, you know, p- you know, power, p- he just liked a certain type of music, and, like, I kept pushing, like, I had bird brain, I was like, this is it, this is it, and then this one, and finally he relented. So I got, I was a, I was a, Thank you. an early, I uh, didn't know
2: you were that much of a proselytizer.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah, right. man, for Buffalo <laughs> Appreciate Tom. Appreciate it. Sure, I was, yeah. Nice. But, the, yeah, because Bird Brain in this record, I like all the songs on this record, too, on uh, Let Me Come Over. Yeah, so
2: this was, like, right around Nevermind, you know, uh, was happening and we were sort of dialing down the guitars while they were sort of beefing them up. Yeah. That that whole sort of sub pop scene. Um, Yeah. We played the rat with Soundgarden. That's kind of like, that's how fast everything changed. Remember Mitch? Yeah, of course I remember Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch is, uh, Mitch is, uh, Mitch is burned in the retina of, and, and 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 the ears. You know that voice box <laughs> <laughs> and that's
0: two, yeah, two K. K. Yeah. Oh God. The mat- whatever that was. Whatever that it mat- was
2: it Matted down pre-Trumpian uh, yeah.
0: sort of. Thing. Oh, it was something else. That thing. It was like a hat. <laughs> yeah, he was a real character. Yeah. Yeah. Mister Butch outside. Mister Butch, Butch outside. Yeah. 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 One time, Mister Butch. Like, he wanted some money, Yeah, you know, he wanted me to, he wanted to buy some beer, but I thought, he said, you know, I was going to a liquor store, that one he had to walk downstairs into, like, right in Kenmore, he right. was standing out front there, he said, give me, give me a pint of, uh, give me some Black Label, so I got him scotch, You just wanted beer, and he's, you know, I ran into him oh. a few days later, he's like, oh, that fucked me up, man, I was, I, he You wanted to, a Carling Black Label. Yeah, he's just, uh. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, Butch was, uh, yeah, him and, that. Uh, he had a guitar for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he yeah. would play, yeah. Yeah, I remember Butch. I, yeah. think, I think they're both dead. Yeah, 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 they both are. Yeah. yeah so. But yeah, so you played the rat with Soundgarden.
2: Yeah, I mean, so there was like this, uh, you know, sort of affinity between those bands out in Sub Pop and in Seattle and us yeah. and, and and the East Coast, East Coast stuff. And yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, Nirvana really, as everybody knows, it was just sort of cracked it all open. And um, so we were on this labels in the u.s it was through beggars bank, yeah right? but it was called thirsty year they're mostly a promotional house uh you might know uh mike studo who uh, who had um the high five uh, brownies and it became the oh, yeah. high five bar yeah, brownies Just,
0: down in on in alphabet city yeah so he
2: worked our he worked that let me come over record but then it was wow so Lights fade is sort of getting some spins on,
0: a great song
2: on on the radio show <laughs> roof
0: i love that song
2: yeah thanks your guitar so just, sounds uh, very
0: specific. Like I listened to the, the the latest record that you know that I just got. Is that out yet? The new one. Yeah, uh, it's called Quiet Piece. It's coming out on March second. How do you get that guitar sound? What are you playing?
2: Well, a lot of this is credit to Jay. You know, like uh, this is stuff that I grew up playing too. Like um, humbucker pickup through two bands. That's basically it. You know. Yeah, yeah. But if you can, you, you can get very specific with an SG.
1: Uh, you like the uh, SG. SG?
2: I love the SG. Because uh, it's light and you can kind of Lead get pickup, a lot of twang out of it. Mostly mostly bridge pickup. Yeah. Um you know, and you put that through a JCM eight hundred or a Marshall with a, a master uh, volume, so then you can kinda of dial in the gain just uh, mostly dial in the straight gain with amp the sound. with the
0: second with the second volume. Yeah. So you can amp up the drive on the exactly, second Exactly, yeah.
2: So that's mostly it. And, uh-huh. a, and a lot of acoustic I guess ride. Right. But so uh you know, but by the time but <laughs> by the time we met Jay, I had sort of gotten away from the tube amps of my youth and was playing like like everybody else to a JCM8. Uh, no, what do you call it? A uh, a JC120. Those those jazz chorus Roland dance. Oh really? Those, oh yeah yeah yeah. Playing like Strat and some kind of jangly. Yeah yeah. And, yeah, like yeah. and Jay's like, put these there. here. Let's <laughs> plug this in here. You know, because we were we were getting back into the beef because uh, it was Who's do and the replacements. Everybody was beefing it up. So. And they were all tube guys. Yeah, I think so. Yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So. Actually, I mean. Talk about specific sounds. Bob Mould always had a really specific sound. It always yeah, sounded like man. going
0: directly into the board. Too. Yeah, man. He's a sweet guy. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely sounded... It, it kind of cut through, right? Right. Yeah. Who were the bands that you were aligned with on the East Coast, really? I mean, who were the the, the crew that was coming up with you? Yeah, Lemonheads. Lemon... Okay, that's uh, Right. Blake Babies, but right. it's
2: funny. Um, yeah, you know, we'd go down to New York. There was a band called Sleepyhead. We, we'd play the Pyramid down in New York. And oh yeah, I remember that place. A lot of remember bands it. like that, and then you, as soon as you hit the road, you become friends with like this, you know, teenage fan club from right. Scotland and Australia, UMI. So, and there, there was really kind of uh, you saw everybody out there. Yeah, we would be playing festivals, and right. so we'd meet a lot of these bands or be on the road for like a stretch of dates with them. Sort of like comedy, you'd probably yeah, you'd yeah. Say,
0: and you had long hair, right, for a while.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, sort uh, of mid '90s. Yeah, because I
0: think I remember seeing you at TT to Bears. That was the only time I ever saw you. Uh huh. At TT's is that possible? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's possible. The only time you've seen us? Yeah, you, you <laughs> played play T-T's? TT's. Oh yeah, yeah. We'd we'd always come back to TT's
2: even when we were playing like the Paradise. Something we still do a TT's gig. Yeah,
0: or... yeah, man. So all right, so let me come over. It seemed my point was it seemed poised to be like you know like it, to be a hit, a hit record. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I know, I remember. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, we felt momentum though going into the next record. So ninety two, we some good things, some great things happened that year. I mean, aside from getting married, uh, that That was the year you got married. Yeah, and and that that record still did pretty well. It was a real slow burner. It took a while for it to happen. Um, Yeah, but it didn't sell. Shitloads of copies, but you know we went out on tour with My Bloody Valentine on that uh, record. There's a noisy band. We played (laughs) the Reading Festival. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was a great era. So we felt a lot of momentum, and that's actually when we came out here to L. A. to record uh, Big Red Letter Day, and that was like everybody's like that's where the money was like sort of being put behind for us. That that record. Yeah, they were putting their bets on that one. Yeah, we were recording with the Rob Brothers, but it was very much like. That they had done "It's a Shame" about Ray, and which we really liked by the Lemonheads. So uh-huh. That's the one with you know it's, "It's a Shame" the song. What
0: happened to that guy? Where's Dando? Evan, he's still playing. Yeah, yeah.
2: he's uh, yeah he's I think he's mostly based out of the uh, Martha's Vineyard right oh, now. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. So he sort of cashed out and he hangs out. I don't know. Don't- <laughs>
2: <laughs> I saw him. I saw. I saw.
0: I saw Evan yeah. in April. We did a yeah. benefit
2: for the ACLU in Boston uh, uh-huh. together. Is so, he all right? I, I think he's all right. Yeah. I don't, Yeah. I, 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 I we've we only see each other like once a year or every two years now we're connected online or whatever uh-huh. social but um, uh,
0: uh, I I don't know I can't really speak to his sure comments. sure man all right so so okay so now that you're out here you're recording this is a big record yeah and what happens.
2: Yeah, I mean mod- modestly better, you know. We, that, but we, you know, we got buzz. I don't think actually we had buzz. Ben, what was the thing back then on MTV? Uh, on MTV? Yeah, I don't we, we were in rotation. Yeah, for, yeah. Like, did we sp- that, that was the era where you would spend the whole the the amount of the record uh, budget on one video, and then yeah. you then you'd do another one for a hundred grand or yeah. whatever, and you just hope that MTV put it into big into into rotation, you know, high, high rotation. But yeah, we were never. Never that big. I mean, it it was sort of what we what, what we appreciated was that we started playing bigger halls. Right, uh, we we started to take some opening tours. That you know, that was always a mixed bag. If what it do
0: you mean? To. Like first band, yeah.
2: Do we open up for yeah? Do we take this tour opening up for Counting Crows, you yeah? Know, or do we take this tour that you know the label really wants you to go open you know for six weeks, open up for the band live or whatever it Ooh, was, you know? Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. And um, they had that one song, yeah. And that was Lightning kind of that crashes. era where,
2: like, yeah, I mean, everything was commercial now. And that was when was,
0: college rock got commercial, yeah. And and that's, everybody that's was start- when it became quote unquote alternative, right? You know, same commercial. people. A lot of people sounded the same, yeah. yeah Yeah. it it, it, like Pearl Jam infected everybody (laughs) a a, a certain type of band yeah I mean Pearl Jam
2: came out and did their thing and then then it was a whole bunch of guys that started singing kind of uh, yeah right lower mumbly
0: register you know (laughs) yeah uh, yeah yeah. Yeah. so but like I guess uh, like when I look at you know you keep chipping away yeah but at what point you know like you say you know you got a family now you got a day job you're writing books so, like, was there a tangible point in the in the life of the band where you're like, "I gotta get some backup going"?
2: Yeah. Well, no, there were multiple times where we were just sort of—I uh, think I, in my mind—and in and, and literally quit the band like once or twice. And yeah. Sort of we we got we, we pulled ourselves back from that ledge, and but I gotta say that getting to the you know it sort of mirrored the '90s almost literally. Like by the end of the '90s, we we. We we had said okay, beggars banquet. You've been a great home, yeah. but let's if we're gonna keep doing this, we're gonna keep pushing it. Uh, let's sign directly to a U.S. major label and see if that if that's gonna get us over the hump, right? Right. And so the, it was somewhat I wouldn't say craven, but it's like you know it's ambitious. It's yeah. like you know you want to kind of look. Everybody else is making these selling millions of records. Why aren't we or yeah, whatever right. else? And it's a ridiculous kind of thing. And and Did I had it consume this, you. Uh, not consuming, but it um, it 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 started. I realized, and I think the band started to realize that we st- we didn't make any kind of musical decisions. So uh, maybe one or two, where where with commercial things in mind, and that was really about choosing singles and stuff, and maybe having a guide, yeah. the remix guy, mix right. that single, right. and. But if you had asked us when we started what we were going to do that kind of stuff, we'd be like, "Oh no, man! Well, of course, we, the every, vocals are too loud in the everybody's in the mix. Like that. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, you can't tell us what to do. with
2: a the slippery there. slope. Yeah, yeah. I think we most we we mostly stuck to our guns and probably to a f- to our own detriment. But so we it took a while to make that last record of the '90s, which was called "Smitten," and it's kind of a commercially sounding record. It has some some really good songs, yeah. some that I'm not so happy about that we don't play much anymore. But so '99. My kid, my first kid, was born. Tom had already had two kids. We were sort of sick of the whole thing—the recording, the touring—because we were we were making a good living, but we had to keep it going. You know, we had well, you had to keep stay on that cycle going. Yeah, and we yeah. didn't want to do that anymore. And it was like the last tour was opening up for the Goo Goo Dolls, who had who had been this band under us for all these years, and then they became huge. And they were so we're on this tour, and I've got my own daughter now being born, and I'm playing to a bunch of. Girls that are closer to her age than mine, you know, twelve-year-old, thirteen-year-old girls yeah. that had seen Johnny and these guys on on MTV, and they're great right. guys. Yeah. And, uh, but it was just an unrewarding tour, and we said, "All right, we're d-. and we got dropped, you know. So that
0: our decision was made for us. We you got dropped from after, after
2: Polydor, which was under the whole uh, Seagram's Universal deal, like something like after hundreds. you got after Smitten, Smitten, yeah. And, so and then we stopped. He stopped. Yeah, we stopped. We just said, okay. We didn't. We're not breaking up. We're not. We're not the kind of guys to say, "Hey, we're going on a reunion." I mean, a uh, 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 last tour, retirement tour, or whatever. You, which may have,
0: but all of you got out of it without you know major drug abuse, you know, drug issues or booze issues or yeah, know, outside of maybe uh, some broken hearts and some bitterness. you, you yeah. made it out alive. Yeah, you well, I'm here. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, the drinking got. I mean, the drinking
2: on the road was yeah. certainly a concern, you know, but I would come home <laughs> and I would successfully just kind of turn it off. Sure. Uh, but but that was, I, I completely credit having my, you know, the girl I met in college, Laura, who I married in 92. If I didn't have that sort of rudder type of uh, force in my life, I'm sure I just would have been like, yeah, let's stay out the mm-hmm. road, man. And like, <laughs> whatever, just give me everything. And still um, be out there. Yeah. Yeah. But no, the other two guys, we're all like these really, It's I, I don't think there's a more level-headed... <laughs> a bunch of and three, they're all, they're, guys.
0: they're both family guys too now yeah yeah and you sense. all live around I- in New England or where
2: yeah so Chris lives right outside of Harvard Square I live in Lexington right outside of uh, sure. Boston and Tom's
0: up in Newburyport up near New Hampshire yeah yeah I miss uh, I miss parts of being there yeah yeah because it was a very definitive defining part of my life the new england part yeah and like you know as weird as it all is and as sort of segregated and odd parochial you know, yeah uh it is there there is a, a consistency to it that, yeah. that is sort of comforting
2: yeah i mean i've been there now since what? i'm 16 since i was 16 years old but i still feel like i'm more of sort of long island kid than sure. i'm a new england person <laughs> and you but- still got
0: family down there
2: yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, but no, no, I don't get down there that much, you know? Sure. It's mostly friends. That I st- cause Well, I, you know,
0: it you, you kind of balanced out between the two accents. You, you don't seem to have an accent. Yeah, I don't think so, yeah. Yeah, that's it's lucky, because both options were kind of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it's right, man. Sausage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sausage. Yeah. Sausage and <laughs> sausage. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Go, yeah, but uh, so so now, when you stop doing that, when, you know, yeah, I mean, that's like... Cause this this is the thing, like one of the reasons was you know that we never got together. That like, cause like I followed you for a long time and I love the music. And then i I was always wondering like you know how you know when I saw you wrote a book. I'm like well that's great. Like but I never I never know how people handle. That evolution, that, yeah. because like you know, when I was up against it and my career was going nowhere, and there was nothing I could do about it. Mm. There's nothing you can do to to sell a record other than do your best. There's right. nothing you can do to make you to make people come see you do comedy, yeah. but do your best. And when it doesn't work, that's a horrible, dark moment. Yeah, I went through that. Was I was like what thirty ish? Uh,
2: that thirty three. That was that was a really low ebb for me. And, and, and I felt like after you guys after Smitten yeah and I, and I tried to like get a solo thing going with another band
0: I, mean, you I know, liked kinda, your record I, I listened to one of them I, oh, I, I can't remember which one it was the last one yeah and I had a
2: band and in fact I just had dinner with that the guy that was in my band Crown Victoria Tom Polche who'd mixed a bunch of buf- other Buffalo Tom records as well later on but yeah I mean it was a really tough era because it was the era that you know radio had completely gone mainstream again it was like Limp Bizkit and Creed and there was no hope for uh, a, a, sort of a guy that didn't make a huge dent you know right kind of, but uh i tried anyway and i i that's when i started saying well i gotta do some other things in life uh, but it was it was a low ebb because it should have been a really happy time because i my my daughter was just born but yeah. I, I i that was you know that was the most depressed i've probably been since i was like you know 16 and had moved from new york
0: yeah know? because when you do a creative pursuit you don't there's no It's your identity, you know? It's It's your identity, but there's no easy shift into what after a certain age? I mean, fuck, I was in my mid-40s, you know, when when, when the wheels came off. Yeah. And it's sort of like, what am I prepared to do? Right. Real estate. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We get that license. <laughs> that's what out.
2: I did. You did? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's what I've been doing. That's that's how I made my. That's how I my, And that's a weird identity crisis kind of th- thing. Almost every. Couple, I mean, I've been doing real estate uh, around Lexington, Massachusetts for like sixteen years, and I still I still have a hard time. It's kind of squaring so it probably, all. You're probably a known guy. Like yeah, I a, yeah, I am. I make a living, you yeah. know. And it's the only. It's the only. It's like here's my resume, guy. You know, I <laughs> graduated '89, and I'm in a rock band until '99. So hire me, you know. It's like nah, you got to kind of do something yourself, and right? It's it's America. You got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. So you whatever. went and got a license. Got a license. Kind of eased into it. I was still doing music, and Buffalo Tom was still doing stuff. Like yeah, sure, still, sure. We had like an A side track. We actually had kind of a hit record in the UK with a cover of a of a Jam song. Uh, for uh, the B side was was Oasis, so it was sp- this big record. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of cool. Uh, so we still kept doing stuff, but it got to a point where we were like, uh, well, if we're going to keep doing this, let's not just be a nostalgia act, right? Let's kind of sure. let's we let's see if we can still write songs together. And we we were we were all right. We can't
0: songs. be like, well, that's good because you can't really be a nostalgia actor if, <laughs> if, you if no one knows who you are. You know, <laughs> here these guys. That's kind of the point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here are these guys <laughs> doing their one the song that they think everybody knows. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of the truth. That's kind of the truth.
2: No, no, I mean, we to, you, we really had this sort of cult audience. Sure, it's no. Not, it wasn't a huge cult audience, but it was worldwide. Like, we could just, yeah. you know... You all through the, two, all through the 2000s, we yeah. could pop over to Australia. We could pop yeah. over to, you know, ben, Holland or whatever. Sure. in London, yeah. It wasn't, you know, it, it's not like 3,000 seaters, but it was enough to sort of at least break even. Or Eight, a 800
0: break to 1,000? Yeah, and in London or 1, Belgium, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple more, yeah. So, well, that's great, but, but, but all right, so... So you're selling real estate. You do all right with it? Yeah. Residential? Commercial? Yeah. Yeah, Mostly uh, a lot of modern stuff, mid-century stuff. uh, Oh,
2: yeah? around, Around that area, yeah. And,
0: and and that's what that's sort of what you get your bread and butter that's like yeah that's it i mean music is still brings in dribs and drabs but we well, still sound like you guitar the voice the songs are yeah, still sounding like you yeah. on that new album it's not all you singing though huh
2: no chris sings like four songs but chris is always pretty much from not the first record but the second record always sang a song or two and then increasingly wrote more and well, more well i guess
0: i noticed it more this record yeah, yeah. He yeah sings i don't know four, four i think yeah 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 and w- w- when like where does the book before we get to the newest record, where does the where so you're doing real estate and you're okay. You got your your and your wife works probably? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. She's mostly taking care of the kids though, thank God. And but everything worked out all right. Uh yeah, I think so. <laughs> that's well that's yeah. that's a good story. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Uh so like you're not really you're not really it's like not like the music's a hobby or you gave it up necessarily because you didn't really get closure like you didn't have to You know, you. I guess what I'm saying is like you're not one of those people that that uh, you're able to accommodate, still doing the music without it representing some sort of failure. I hope so. (laughs) No, do you know what I mean? Like, you you know, like I mean, like it's it's still like it's still probably the most important thing to you. It absolutely is. It's still
2: probably too much a part of my identity. But it's like as an artist, whatever. That's a big word, but. That's kind of who I am. It's yeah. it's the other stuff that I have a hard time. Uh, I mean, like, you know, writing about the Stones or whatever. That's that's another part. But yeah, going to have a day job is a weird thing to me still. Um, sure. But it it's fascinates me to like when I listen to your show, for example, or other yeah. people's shows, and they're interviewing like whatever peers from our era that maybe sold a few more records right. or, or didn't or um, yeah like how do you how do they keep
0: it going like where do you live and I live in know. a really
2: expensive area so that's part of it I, I you know
0: those are questions I always wonder about Yeah, that's why I sort of asked you about Dando and you, yeah, you're yeah. kind of like, I don't know do <laughs> yeah you know, yeah well uh, I mean Evan Evan did like a Jell-O commercial when he was
2: a kid and that I know that was paying for some, back, back when we knew him he had like sort of a Jello. Yeah, Jell-O he, I think
0: he had a song called the Jell-O fund or the something the jell trust yeah no but it's but it is an interesting question is yeah. how do people survive yeah. and, and because it's not necessarily part of the mystique to divulge that because yeah. they, they might either be having a hard time or they might be having a very sort of mundane, normal time.
2: Yeah, well, the mystique is the big, is, and the, that's the word. I mean, and not a lot of bands, even from our era where it was all about being real or, or you know, stripping away a lot of that. Yeah. Like, I would just go on stage with whatever I was wearing, sure. for example. But even bands of our era the, where you where it was pretentious to think otherwise – did sort of cultivate mystique, if if not themselves and their publicists, too. sure, right? Well, yeah, so, but just
0: the nature of you being a band, people assume, yeah, you know, like you know, even even when you know musicians back in the day, like you know, if they had a day job, they didn't give a fuck about it, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, right. They were driving yeah. a van. Oh yeah, we
2: the, had day jobs, sure, on
0: the on the early side
2: until our third album, yeah,
0: right. You know, right. But, you but, know When you're in your twenties,
2: you don't, it's, yeah, you don't need a whole lot.
0: <laughs> that's right, yeah, 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 a couple hundred a week, but it, but it's it's just sort of interesting to me that you know at some point for people to and i think family responsibility makes a big difference yeah. like you know you you don't even, you, you can't really think twice about it no exactly Yeah, <laughs> have got to yeah. do this yeah,
2: yeah. and I, I i don't know all three of us came from none of our none of our parents were divorced they were all uh, stayed married all. so we came from these that's a very Working unusual class. thing for a band i mean sort of upper middle class yeah oh, yeah, really, yeah you know so yeah, yeah the pragmatic as- aspect was ingrained I couldn't really really go off the rails you know yeah like there's
0: there's just some inside you wouldn't let you
2: yeah and there's there's mental mental illness in our family and struggles with addiction and things like that but the family is such a huge I, I gotta say it to our credit it's like uh, you can't nobody's gonna let you go out and just be the guy on Skid Row <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, right. that didn't, yeah, 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 that yeah. didn't yeah. make it in the music business Oh uh, yeah. oh yeah or he, keep in twirling. your family
0: yeah 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 yeah, yeah. But you didn't let yourself do that, right? Right. Yeah, but you're saying that like so the I family you, they would have thrown you a line.
1: Yeah, yeah. I,
2: I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I could have easily succumbed if, like I said, if I hadn't been married or had a girlfriend early on. Yeah. And to something to come home to. Yeah. I really, uh, even if I was coming back from tour, I just, I, I just loved being in bars and hearing bands and drinking and. Sure. I think, I, I think I, it would have gotten worse than it. That it did. So hasn't been.
0: What was the experience doing this
2: record? Uh, it was great So uh, we worked with Dave Minahan Do you know Dave Minahan? He's the, he, he plays second guitar in the replacements On the last kind of iteration And uh-huh. he's been playing with Paul for uh, his solo stuff uh-huh. He was in a band called The Neighborhoods You probably knew them. I remember The Neighborhoods
0: The three the of them Yeah Oh man, that's so funny Yeah, so he, he's yeah. got a
2: studio in Waltham uh, Much like the old Fort Apache Real raw sort of warehouse space With a ton of old amps and guitars Oh and, yeah? So we, we worked with him And then we had John Iniello Who you've interviewed We had him mix it oh yeah and he worked on our sleepy he did it. he record. does a lot of good
0: shit he know, like he, stuff. like he's a he's, great guy he's too. a good cat yeah
2: he does a lot he uh, yeah he he's done an ama- he's got an amazing discovery and it's so different there's like what no... is it about
0: him what, what, what do you like about him as in terms of working with producers i mean having work with you know mascus and what 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 does a producer do for you
2: well back then so when we first on sleepy eyed album we brought uh we, we wanted to it was a reaction to the record previous which was which had been Big Red Letter Day which was really produced we, yeah. we were out here for two months working with these guys these old school guys yeah. like the Rob brothers and so I said you know let's make a record like Tonight's in the Night or Some Girls where we're all in the same room and the amps are buzzing and the, yeah. the snares are rattling yeah, yeah. and you know it's live my, off the mic like that you know that kind of stuff and <laughs> yeah. that vibey record and, right. and John was up for it and John had done obviously some some dinosaur and sonic youth stuff yeah. and we loved his the the way it said and he was just a great guy and he's this total brooklyn yeah. kind of funny smart ass guy yeah. totally fit our personalities yeah. and, so we loved working with him and then i, I you know he just moved kept doing different things and then i saw john it, it had been a long time uh, at the Dinosaur uh, 30th uh, down at the Bowery Barroom and we went out and had drinks afterwards and we like he's like yeah I would love to do another record with you and I said well, we would love to do another record with you but um, we couldn't get down to New York to record it and stuff so he just ended up mixing it
1: oh really yeah
2: great mixer though
0: yeah and who? who which label's putting it out uh, it's uh, School
2: Kids Records okay Yes, yeah, through Red Eye Distribution kind of these guys from it's this guy Stephen Judge
0: out of North Carolina and when's it come out uh, March second, and it's going to be on vinyl too. Yeah, yeah, I'll have them send you that. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm going to need the vinyl, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that now these Stones books, like the, writing the second Stones book, like w- what did you have to do? I mean, what? Yeah. So I wasn't going to write another Stones book. I wasn't even sure if
2: I was going to write. another I was pretty sure I wasn't going to write another book, but write um, it before the in 2012 before their. Um, their uh anniversary their 50th anniversary some agent got in touch with me and said yeah. hey i've got this idea to do like 50 tracks you know tell the story of 50 years and i said that sounds like a perfect idea yeah sure i'd be and they'd it. seen this book yeah so he knew me from that yeah. maybe some other thing i had written online or something on a blog or yeah um so yeah we we i did a proposal and um and I mean, I'm not. I'm not a real journalist. I'm. I, I was learning to be more of one, like how to interview people. And I interviewed Andy Johns and Bobby Keys. But it was really hard for me to get oh, to the Bobby stuff. Keith. I was really
0: envious of you to get you know sit yeah. down with Keith and. and, uh, and I I think I, I fanboyed out too much. I did all right. I would totally fanboy. So I met
2: him in the. Yeah. I, I talk about that in the pref in the preface. Just as I was sort of. I don't even know if I had a book deal yet. But yeah. I was I was. I, I i was at this lyrics award. Yeah, did you know about this? It's like Chuck Berry was getting a lyric award, mm. and from Penn New England was Leonard Cohen. So it was oh, Keith yeah, yeah. and Elvis, and you know all these guys. Uh, Costello obviously. Yeah, Costello was there. He's a good guy. And yeah, and Paul Simon was there. It was this huge oh, thing for did a, You did
0: a Paul Simon cover.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, on the on record. the new record. Yeah. Yeah, and so I was just standing there. I'm talking to my friend Tom Parado, who's a, who's a novelist uh who's another guy you should maybe talk to, a really funny guy. Um anyway, he he's he's sort of giving the opening remarks at this oh, yeah. thing. And so we're up in this like anteroom before uh, at the JFK museum, and yeah. Paul Simon. And Keith is just on the other side of Paul Simon. I'm just like I got to get I got to get past. Get how do Simon? I, get, <laughs> how I get around Paul Simon? <laughs> and then Keith was standing by himself and I said, "Ah, oh, uh i just gotta tell you man i'm just i'm just a huge fan and i'm just like everybody else is coming up to you is probably saying the same thing but i i just have to say it right and he's like oh man i feel the same way exactly about chuck berry mate you know yeah yeah he's uh <laughs> and i said yeah and so it's so cool that they're giving him uh, you know recognition for his lyrics which are just uh, he's oh exactly man he goes hurry home drops in our eyes and he just beats his chest a couple of times and I'm like man Keith has just pivoted this awkward situation to like two guys just talking about Chuck Berry lyrics I it, uh, it was like everything I could have hoped for you know? and I'm just gonna leave it there uh but in fact, uh, I had told Evan that I was going to be down there. I knew Evan, Evan's buddies with like his son and Keith and uh, Evan's just sort of, yeah. you know, everybody loves Evan. So I, I said, Hey, I'm going to, I might meet Keith at this thing. I'm going to try it. He goes, Oh, tell him I said hi. So I said, Oh, you know, I want to just say, Evan says like, Oh, Evan, he's a good cat, man. you Evan? G- <laughs> Evan, Dando. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's a good cat. <laughs> no kidding. So yeah. So yeah. I mean, then I just, I mean, I wish I could have gotten to those guys themselves, but I don't think it's <laughs> Easy, Mick's heart, easy prospect I for think. another Stones book, you know. Yeah, Mick. But I, I, I had long conversations with with Andy Johns and Bobby Keys and well, Bobby Mary Keys, Clayton. He,
0: glad, good you got that before he, he kicked it. Yeah, yeah. And, and he, he was something, man. He really was. It's weird that, like, you know, I, uh, over time through listening to a bit of jazz and stuff, to really appreciate, you know, certainly like. Someone like Keys or, you know, even Clarence Clemens to a degree where, you know, it's such a signature sound, but it is just that instrument. But nobody sounds like Bobby Keys. Right. And he's all over all those records. Yeah. It's kind of insane. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it's not as ob- obnoxious uh, to me as some, some of like the E Street Band sax, you know. Which oh, no, that- no, I know. But like, oh, but I'm just saying. saying
0: that like, you know, I, I have a hard time differentiating between jazz players. Oh, yeah. But, but there's something about rock and, you know, guys who come from. You know that discipline, the R&B it's discipline. It's sort of the King Curtis, post King Curtis, like the blow, like really belted it out, right? As opposed right. To like nuanced, right? Jazz right. have yeah, that right. to fit the the rock thing. Yeah, exactly. Because like you know, you it's it's more of a it, being heard kind of thing. It is yeah, right, yeah. you know. And if you get too complicated, it yeah. ain't no one's gonna give a shit, right?
2: It's more of a rhythmic style. Yeah, playing. it's a
0: balance, yeah, man. Yeah. You're right. So so the so the Stones book it focuses on 50 songs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I picked fifty, and it's not. I mean, it's not a top fifty. So I was, I was getting a lot of grief.
2: You, you picked Winter off of a Head Soup as one of their fifty best songs. I'm like, no, no, no. Well, I mean, if you put
0: a gun to my head, it kind of is. Yeah, age, yeah. But, <laughs> no, I,
2: I, I and I ha- and I tried to pick songs from all of their albums. I did yeah. from all of their albums. So what I wanted did you pick
0: to- from Metamorphoses.
2: Oh, no, 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 from all, I should say from all their, uh, there might be something from Metamorphosis on there, but from all their actual
0: releases. You know, Metamorphosis is is outtakes. Weird record? Yeah,
2: yeah, it's outtakes. Is it outtakes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's
0: all outtakes and from different eras. It's just like that, I think the whole notion of how, not so much how to record a record, but how to sort of like, you know, become a community, you know, as a band with a bunch of other people around and then just ride riffs out until they start to make sense because some of the outtakes that I heard on the new on that remaster like I don't know if they're outtakes but it's sort of like or different versions of uh, what was it Tumbling Dice yeah Good Time Woman yeah like you know they picked the right ones generally yeah (laughs) they absolutely did yeah Yeah, that's the one thing about outtakes and about bootlegs and stuff like that it's sort of like there's a reason that it's It's not not everybody
2: that worked with them and Andy John's uh, had said this in enter- every interview, not just the one that I talked to, him, but he said they would be the worst band for like two days. You would just like, they're never gonna pull this shit together. And then all of a sudden, one take, the tape was always rolling, but like right. this this is she said this is true for their whole career. All of a sudden, they would just latch in, and that was that was it. And it would just magic would happen, and that that would be the master. So it kind of explains a lot of char. I'm, maybe this is overstated. Yeah. a lot of Charlie's fills are kind of weird because he doesn't know necessarily where the one is. Like uh, if you think of tattoo you, yeah, they had been playing that as a reggae song for like six hours, yeah, yeah. and then they all, then Keith just went into this downbeat version of it, and Charlie kind of comes in on a kind of weird spot and, yeah. and that's the take they use and they went back into reggae for like another two hours <laughs> yeah, but they yeah. went back and found that and they're like oh we gotta put this out
0: that's why see that's the thing start it's me up the, did I say start me up on tattoo yeah yeah, yeah, yeah start yeah, me up
2: Yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. He just because it had been like her, her, her. Yeah.
0: yeah which is you know no,
2: who wants to hear that song <laughs> ever, like, ever again it's it's so, overplayed so but to hear it in that in that context is interesting I
0: think no it's fascinating that they would take the time and just noodle around yeah. and like yeah it's it's sort of like. I don't have enough dedication to any rabbit hole to stay in it very long. Like I'll get started. But like with the stones, like I I'm glad I sort of had a beginner's mind to it. You know, when I saw them in San Diego and, and being sort of a, you know, born again, uh, you know, vinyl guy or just paying more attention than I ever have. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm just getting to stuff that people have, you know, got to years ago but that's a great thing about music it's yeah. like but like you know the magic is they're just a four-piece operation mm-hmm. and there's no backtracking and they're carrying each other right you know and they're they're raw as they've ever been yeah and and the songs feel so profoundly full i i don't i it was it's a magic to it yeah absolutely and it's like you're saying i mean I think you skipped
2: the right era, like those mid to late '80s, like when they got back together. I saw them during those tours, and it was like I just want to go and touch the hem of their garment. I just want to see them, you right? Know, sure. like, and yeah, they were. Yeah. It was sort of like, Wow, that yeah. was a great version of one one of these songs that I didn't expect, you know. Yeah. And there was one era where they were taking. Internet requests, and I think they might have even done that in the last tour. And it's like trying to get the album track that they don't play, you know.
0: Well, they were going to do the whole Sticky Fingers record, and they bailed on it. Right,
2: so they started that here at the Yeah, I I,
0: I didn't get to see that. Couldn't get tickets. I tried.
2: Yeah, and they ended up doing a lot of that record. So I think a big force has been uh, Chuck Lavelle, sort of keeping them. Like you should, you should go back and learn some of these great songs that your super fans are into. Don't you're not going to lose your fans if you do a down tempo song. You don't. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. I think mixed. Nervous. The show yeah, yeah, rolling, yeah, yeah. You what know? yeah,
0: yeah. well, they did, like he did, Moonlight Mile, yeah. and in like you know the vulnerability of it was like just mind blowing. It hits you, doesn't it? <sighs> yeah, because they stick him out there by himself. There's a mo- there's a moment like that. Did you see the Scorsese
2: yeah. movie? There's a yeah. moment like that where there's like, an extreme close up. I think it's as tears go by. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I can't. It's that a movie was sort of the... sad to me because it didn't it was... seem like
0: they were getting to- along at all. Yeah. Mick and Keith. Yeah. Like it seemed like they were literally trying not to talk to each other. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. yeah,
2: I think it's always been that way, pretty much since the. I, I, I think since before the '80s, and since then, it's it's been like a detente here and there. I don't, I don't know if they're ever hanging out happily together. It's, it's yeah, yeah. I don't think so.
0: All right, man. Well, now thank you for the books. Thank you. Thank you for talking to me. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm, it's an honor I'm, to be here. Uh, I'm excited about the new record. It sounds like a Buffalo Tom record. Yeah, we're still there. All right. And you know,
2: uh, how how much longer for the garage? Am I one of the last guys in the? garage? No, we got a
0: little time. We got I'm a little not. time. But you might be one of the last. I'm still sort of like iffy about it. Like all of a sudden now, because they're redoing the house, I'm like, well, maybe I'll keep it. Maybe we we'll, you know, just like jack it up and put it in a truck and bring it to the. <laughs> I like the new garage, but yeah. like you know, people are starting to really get in my brain about uh, this sort of. Now you can't like let, let nostalgia dictate it. That's right, right. I don't want to become a nostalgia. Act. Right, exactly. Keep it vital, man. <laughs> Take care. Thanks. Okay, so as I said, the new Buffalo Tom record is available tomorrow, March second. It's called "Quiet and Peace." So, uh, and it sounds like a Buffalo Tom record. I guess I'll play a little guitar. Hold on.